Mother's Day was always a, a very special day around the Pallage household. Dad made sure of that. He would never have allowed it to be otherwise. My dad really taught us kids to honor our mother. And it really helped us to honor him also. Because you see, when a father leads his family in honoring his wife, the mother of his children, then it really does make a difference in the household. That's the way my dad did things. My mom was a fantastic mother. There's always a good hot meal on the table for us. You would never have heard anything about a latchkey kid around her house. One way or the other, she was going to be there to greet us when we got home at the end of the day. Um, she was really a nurturer. Not a surprise there. But, um, you know, she was always there to mend our boo-boos. <laughs> you ever had a boo-boo, Evan? No, you've had more than a few. <laughs> when we would get home from uh, school, she always uh, had a glass of milk for us and uh, some cookies. And she would always sit down at the table with me. I mean, it wasn't just that she'd be fussing in the kitchen doing whatever she was doing while I was having my milk and cookies. She would actually sit down at the table with us, uh, each of us individually as we came through the door. And... Um, she would talk to us, talk to us. Imagine that, parents talking to their kids. And um, she'd always draw out of me whatever was going on. She'd say something funny or silly or, or just something that was so ridiculous that she knew I wouldn't be able to believe it and it would get me to start talking to her. And so she always had her way. We have our way, yes. And um, it was just wonderful growing up in a home like that. And so I really want to honor the mothers today. I want to honor the mothers in a somewhat different message than I would normally give at this time. Uh, this is not going to be a particularly schmaltzy message. This is going to be one that really gets down to the heart of what it means to honor the mothers in the congregation. Uh, the traditional Jewish prayer in the synagogue over daughters says this in the English, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. What I'd like to do is start out by remembering some of the great mothers of the Bible. And so one of the things we read is that uh, as matriarchs of the Jewish people, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah each possess qualities that make them worthy role models. According to Jewish tradition, they were strong women who kept faith with God during tough times. Between the lot of them, they endured marital troubles, infertility, abduction, envy from other women, and the task of raising difficult children. Hmm. But whatever hardships came their way, these women put God and family first, eventually succeeding in building the Jewish people. 
in Exodus 2, 1 through 10, we read the story of a woman named Jochebed. We know her as Moses' mother. You remember, she had this child. She looked upon him and she thought, this is a special child. She saw something in him. And so she nursed him and took care of him for as long as she could. And then knowing the king's edict that all male children were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned from amongst the Jewish people, she came up with a plan. I think God gave it to her. And she put the baby in a basket of reeds. And she floated on the river and she sent her daughter down to watch after this basket of reeds. Eventually, this basket of reeds floated to within sight of this woman who was the daughter of Pharaoh. She had one of her ladies go in and take the baby out or take the basket out. And then she looked at it and she realized there's a child there. And she took the child as her own but then she did something that was really remarkable. She wanted to find a woman from amongst the Hebrews who could nurse the child. Well, guess who was there to hear this desire being stated? It was Miriam, Moshe's mother. So Miriam goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I've got just the woman for you. Sure enough, Moshe's mother. It was great. What a genius thought by this woman. And to trust God so explicitly and so determinedly that she could see it through. But she did see it through. And of course, the rest is history. Moses becomes a mighty prince in Egypt. Eventually, he has to leave. And then he comes back and he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. Another one, Hannah. Hannah may be one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. She suffered so much, and you could have thought that she really would have lost her faith in God. Not Hannah, though. Oh, no. Hannah, she was barren, and yet she never lost faith that God would give her a child. She prayed fervently, and for that praying fervently, she was accused of being drunk by the high priest, no less. She defended her virtue before that high priest. After prayer was ended, she believed God, became pregnant, bore Samuel, and after weaning him, dedicated him to God as a Nazarite of perpetuity. Now what that means, Nazarite of perpetuity and dedicating him to God, she literally turned him over to God. He no longer lived in her house. He lived in the temple or in the, the uh, tabernacle with the high priest Eli. If you know anything about Eli, his family wasn't in very good shape. His sons were very wicked. And yet Hannah trusted that God was going to care for her son in the midst of that place. And God did. And Samuel grew up to become a mighty leader of Israel. What a story. These are mothers. 
Then in Matthew 1.18 we read, Now the birth of Yeshua the Messiah happened this way. When his mother Miriam was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Ruach HaKodesh. Imagine this young woman, probably no more than about 14, maybe 15 years old. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, speaks with her, tells her what's going to happen. Rather than questioning it, she says, be it unto me as you've said. And it was unto her as was said. A young woman of great faith. Imagine such a young woman with that kind of faith. She bore our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, served as his mother. How in the world do you serve as the mother of the Son of God? Hmm. There was something special about her. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, I recall the genuine faithfulness within you, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is within you as well. So he's recognizing that there is a spiritual heritage that has been left to Timothy, not through his father, but through his grandmother and his mother. Two Jewish ladies who knew that they needed to raise their children in the ways of the Lord, even in a very pagan culture. And these two women did, and it really took in their son Timothy. So I want to go now to Exodus 20, 12, and just read a few verses about what it says regarding um, honoring our mother. In Exodus 20, 12, we read, Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long upon the land which Adonai, your God, is giving you. So children, you need to honor your mothers. You honor your mothers by obeying them. You honor your mothers by being there for them when they're going through a sad time. You honor your mothers by listening to them. You honor your mothers by remembering them on special days. You honor your mothers by hugging them. You honor your mothers by always acting respectfully towards them. You honor your mothers especially by being respectful towards them in public places. You don't act out in a public place just because you think your mother is going to be at a disadvantage, but rather you listen to her and you act as you should at all times. You don't give in to the temptation to act like other children, especially children of the world who obviously do not understand what it means to honor their mothers. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He's actually just changing the words of Moshe a little bit in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses gives the same promise again in Deuteronomy 5. And what does he say about it? So that you may live long in the land in which I have placed you. In Mark 7, 9 through 13, we read this from Yeshua. He was also telling them, you set aside the commands of God in order that you may validate your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever you might have gained from me as Korban, that is an offering to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, making void the word of God with your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many such things. So we had religious leaders of the day that decided they had found a special way in which they could make money for the temple. Um, maybe you could place money for the church and bring it up to date. But um, anyways, they were using this tradition in order to tell young people that you no, no longer need to honor your father or mother as long as you're giving all that you would have given to them to the temple. Wow. So for their traditions, they were actually transgressing the very word of God. I've always wondered what it would be like if we lived in a society here where we really honored our parents as they were aging instead of just finding some place to put them where we could warehouse them until the day they died. And pardon me if that sounds harsh, but I've seen it all too often. Now, look, I've got it. I've got it. I really do. That there are some special circumstances. For instance, where a parent really cannot be taken care of adequately at home, but needs special nursing care. I understand that. I understand that very well. But we put our parents in these special facilities, and then we never visit them? This isn't honoring father and mother. This is dishonoring father and mother. And if we're really going to talk about honoring our mothers at this time, then let's get real, okay? Because honoring our mothers means just that we honor them. And you can't honor mother if you're simply sticking her away in a place where you're going to ignore her for the rest of her life. And look, folks, I've seen it all too often. I've seen it all too often recently. Because when my mother-in-law had that serious stroke and she was going to need skilled nursing, 
we were not going to be able to take care of her, at least not if she was going to live. And so we had to go around and look for a place for her, a good place. And it was not easy to find a good place. We found lots of warehouses for old people, but we didn't find many good places where they would really be honored and taken care of, where their minds would be exercised, where the doors were going to be open for us to be able to get in to be with mom. You see, it is so important that if we're really going to be real with God about honoring mother, that we actually honor mother. Otherwise, it's just words, right? And what does James say about that? He says, don't be people of words, but be people of deeds. It's fine if you want to use the words, but once you've talked the talk, then walk the walk, right? And that's exactly what James would say about it. And we need to be very certain that when Scripture tells us to honor our mother, that it means just that, honor your mother. We read in Proverbs 31, 1 and 2 and 28 through 31. And of course, we pray the first part of this as a blessing over our wives at the beginning of our service. A woman of valor who can find, she is worth far more than precious jewels. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her, and he profits greatly thereby. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So enough for children. Let's remember, men, most of us here have a wife. And I want us to remember something, that when we talk about Mother's Day, we're not just talking about mothers. We're also talking about our wives, right? And God has some very pointed words for men when it comes to their wives and how we are to treat and honor our wives. And so, men, if we want to be real about really honoring this day and honoring mothers, then we have to remember that for us, one of those mothers is, in fact, our wife. You see, it's not that she's just some creature that we call a mother. There's more to her than that. She's mother but she's also sister, and she's also the wife of somebody. And we need to remember that as such, we really need to care for her in the way that God has told us 
to do. However, all too many men do not honor their wives. They don't call them blessed. They don't honor their marital vows to their wives. Among those vows in our Messianic wedding ceremony are these. Do you promise all of us assembled to always love, honor, and respect her, placing her needs above your own and giving yourself to her always as Messiah did for his bride, his body. And the last of the blessings, the last of the vows, do you attest that through prayer and through the word of God that you know God's will for your life that the God of Israel, the God of all the nations, blessed be he, has moved you to desire this woman of beauty and valor above all others, and that you will forever keep only to her. Wow. Pretty clear. Those are vows that are meant to be forever. They're not meant to be broken and if we're really going to be men of honor, then we need to honor our wives on this Mother's Day. Malachi speaks in judgment of such men who haven't honored their wives, saying this in Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one father has not one God created us? Why do we, we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? And the Lord says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Wow. Look, I'll tell you, this message changed a lot for me yesterday. 
I don't know why it was, I turned to that portion and I was reading it. And all of a sudden, I noted something. I noted a particular word that the prophet uses over and over and over again. Treacherously. Five times in that short passage, he uses this word treacherously. First of all, he uses it as to the people of Israel being treacherous towards God in that they married the daughter of a foreign god. They dealt treacherously with God, but then he turns it around and he speaks of men dealing treacherously with their wives. Pretty serious stuff. And then I thought, I've got to look this up and see what it is that's going on because using this word that many times, I think the prophet wants to make a point. He wanted to make a point to the people of Israel but I think he wants to make a point to us today, husbands. So I want you to listen real carefully because when I saw this, I thought the implications of this are absolutely horrible for those who would actually think of dealing treacherously with their wives. Absolutely horrible. And so I looked it up. What does it mean? What is it? Well, the word is begod and formed by the letters bait, gimel, Dalit. It is a root meaning to cover as with the garment, but not just putting on a garment. Listen to this. It's figuratively to act covertly and deceptively. So you're throwing a garment over yourself to act covertly and deceptively, to do something in secret that you shouldn't do. The way that's used in Scripture, uh, it's used um, also, by implication to pillage, it's translated treacherously 23 times, transgressor 10 times, transgress 3, deceitfully 2, treacherous 2, treacherous dealer 3 times, very treacherous twice, an unfaithful man once, a treacherous man once, offend once and unfaithfully once. That's not the end, though. It's not just talking about throwing a garment over yourself to do something in secret, to be deceptive, to be treacherous with another. It also is synonymous with the further word, and that word is pasha. Now, pasha, the basic meaning of the word is to break away from or to rebel against just authority. So the implication of divorce, therefore, is that it's a rebellion against the just authority of God as the one who implemented marriage and a rebellion against the just authority of our spouse who has a lifelong claim over us. I want you to think about the implications of that real hard, husbands. Real hard. Rebellion. What does God say about rebellion? In 1 Samuel 15, 23, we read from uh, the words of Samuel 
For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Let's face it, what happens in divorce so very often is the couple is quarreling, they're having problems with each other. Um, If it's the man who's trying to get rid of his wife, his eyes usually light on another woman. And he begins to idolize her. And he puts her in the place of God and in the place of his wife. And so it's not too difficult to see what's going to happen fairly soon thereafter. This man who is falsely worshiping a woman that he is in an an adulterous relationship with. He will divorce his wife. He will do everything he can to marry the other woman. And then he's liable at the same time to try to justify it and make it seem right. What does God say about this? This is rebellion. It's like the sin of divination. You see, it's not just that a man divorced his wife. It is that a man has committed rebellion against God and rebellion against his wife as the just and true authorities when it comes to his marriage. Once again, let me remind you. We're talking about Mother's Day and honoring mothers, right? But let's keep it real. Because words mean nothing. It's actions that actually count. And so men, if you really want to be real with your words before God as you're honoring your wives and your mothers this Mother's Day, then remember your mother. Care for her as she's aging. Take care of your wife. Honor her. Honor her above all other human beings on the face of this globe, keeping yourself only to her throughout the life that you two share together. Yeshua was just as tough on this as the prophet Malachi. Why wouldn't he be? He is the author of this word. He was the one who gave Malachi the words that Malachi needed to speak in judgment of Israel in his day. So Yeshua says, well, Matthew 19, 3 through 9 tells us, Pharisees came up to Yeshua testing him and saying, Is it permitted for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Haven't you read? He answered. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and put her away? 
Yeshua said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Pretty clear. And what did Malachi say about it? God hates divorce. Not that, yeah, Moses allowed you to put your wives away. No, the prophet thunderously crying out the truth of God and the truth of God's word that God hates divorce. This is what it means to get real on Mother's Day as we're honoring our mothers and as we're honoring our wives. We don't play with that relationship that God has placed us into. And if you're going to pretend that, no, it was me who married that woman, God had nothing to do with it, then you're already wrong. Paul eloquently states in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, Husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word. So what did Yeshua do for his bride? He died for us. Husbands, are you willing to give your life for your wife's well-being? This is what Shaul says we should be like. Willing to die for that woman that God has given us as wife. Are you really going to love her above all others? And remain faithful only to her throughout your life. This is certainly the word of God, right? Once again, we say happy Mother's Day. We give out flowers and great things like that. But for it to mean anything, there's got to be real actions that come with those words. And real actions mean that we honor the women in our lives, not by words, but by deeds. Do them. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah loved his body. The congregations of our God. So what does this day stand for? Well, it's got to be more than simply saying Happy Mother's Day and giving some flowers, right? Remember, mothers are not only that, but they are also wives to be honored, not only by their children, but honored by their husbands first. Because just as my father taught me to honor my mother, you see, that's where I learned it. My father honored my mother and so how could I not do the same I will tell you dads if you're not teaching your children to honor your wife their mother 
then you're really missing an opportunity to make a connection. To make a connection with your children that's going to stand you in good stead for all of your life. It's going to stand you in very good stead. Because as your children see you honoring that woman, their mother, then they're naturally going to want to do the same. Our children really do copy what we do, right? I'll tell you, when we as husbands don't honor our wives, then frankly, we really don't honor our mother either. So children, honor your mother. Obey her, love her, cherish her, and as she ages, care for her, that it may go well with you in the earth. And husbands, honor your wife, the mother of your children. Love her with your very life, being willing to lay your life down for her and be faithful to her throughout the life that God gives the two of you together. Finally, I want to say one final word. And that is about those who never married, never had children. When it comes to the house of God, it's as we work together that we're really going to be able to take care of our people together. Um, each person here has an important play, an important role to play. They are to be an example, for one thing, to the children that are in this congregation, everyone. And so God intends us to honor all of the ladies in the congregation who are pouring out that indeed all of our children might grow up to be healthy and productive citizens of the just society that we've been talking about. And so this is how we honor one another in the just society on this Mother's Day. Amen? Amen.